God, take my words and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our will and set them on fire for love of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Welcome to Christ the King this morning. We are in a sermon series entitled Jesus the One. We are reintroducing ourselves uh, to Jesus, the center of our faith. Each Sunday we're addressing one attribute of Jesus, Jesus the one with compassion. Uh, this week was actually to be Jesus the friend of sinners. Uh, unfortunately, the uh, preacher's schedule, Peter, uh, is sick. Uh, he's doing fine, but he's actually in the hospital. Therefore, we made a last-minute decision. Uh, that sounds very ominous. He's on the upward trajectory. Uh, uh, but we made a, a switch in our, our, our readings, so uh, the music you may note is uh, kind of geared towards Jesus, the friend of sinners. This text is actually Jesus the rebel. He was a rebel. And so we're going to attack that direction this morning. Jesus was not crucified just because he was nice, just because he was compassionate, just because he was a friend. He was crucified because he was a rebel. Now we're going to find out that part of his rebellion was he was in fact a friend of sinners, so it's all going to come together in the end, but uh, let's jump right in. The question I want to ask is why were they so mad, they being the Pharisees? Now it's easy if you've been around church for a while, it's easy to parody the Pharisees. They're kind of a overzealous school teacher watching for Jesus to, to, to make a mistake and of course he does and the Pharisees jump on him and uh, leads to his uh, Jesus and uh, eventual death but let's not parody them let's treat them if they are actual human beings and trying to do the right thing which is what they were they were zealous they were people who cared passionately about God. Now we're going to find out they were seriously misguided, but what misguided them is the same thing misguided us. So let's not be too hard on them or too generous with ourselves. So why were they so mad? The issue of their anger involved the Sabbath. And you heard two stories. You heard first the, the Ten Commandments, a repetition of the Ten Commandments that reasserted the importance of remembering the Sabbath day, keeping it holy. It's one of the top ten commandments. And in our gospel reading, it appears that Jesus plays a little fast and loose with that commandment. So, for instance, his disciples uh, pick up grain and eat it. He prioritizes, in the second story, he prioritizes a man with a wounded hand, uh, prioritizing compassion over a strict adherence to the law. And the Pharisees... Even with the parody that you and I might have with this overzealous school teacher, even with that parody, their reaction is disproportionate, isn't it? Like Jesus plays fast and loose and they decide to kill him. Really? Why? Well, let's think for just a moment about what the Sabbath meant then. It's going to sound a little strange, but again, withhold your judgment. For, so the, the Sabbath was a commandment that was the religious leaders of the day paid it uh, unwarranted attention and addressed it with unwarranted scrupulosity. You know that word scrupulosity? So it means when someone is a, has a, a keen, uh, overzealous desire to play by the rules. Right? So my youngest daughter when she came back from kindergarten came back in in tears what's wrong well I, I her teacher told her 
that they're supposed to be quiet in class and our youngest needed to go to the restroom and she didn't know how to interrupt the teacher to ask if she, no, kindergarten, it's okay. Like you can, those rules are good, but you don't need to be so scrupulous. You don't need to have such intensity about these rules. Raise your hand, interrupt the teacher, that's okay. The religious leaders of the day were scrupulous about this commandment. The Sabbath, remember it, keep it holy. Matter of fact, they made 39 subsets of laws. Not content with this overarching commandment, remember, remember the Sabbath, they developed 39 categories. And again, it seems so strange to us that there would be such intensity. But here are the categories that they thought, they being the religious leaders uh, of work that was prohibited on the Sabbath. Ready? 39. Sowing, plowing, reaping, gathering, binding, threshing, winnowing, selecting, grinding, sifting, kneading, baking, shearing, wool, cleaning, combing, dyeing, spinning, making a loop, weaving a thread, separating threads, tying a knot. I'm going to stop there. That's 20. There's 19 more. And with each of these subcategories, there was a whole explanation. So you couldn't tie knots, but what knots couldn't you tie? Were there some knots that were appropriate to tie? Why the level of intensity? Why the scrupulosity? Uh, note that the scrupulosity was not equally applied. There are other Ten Commandments, uh, covetousness, uh, the, one of the commandments forbids adultery. There were not 39 categories of how to avoid adultery, and believe me, there are 39 categories that you could think up of how to avoid adultery or how to avoid It was this commandment and this commandment alone that was subject to such intensity. So the commentator R.T. France writes this, the observance of the Sabbath, here it is, this is why it matters so much. The observance of the Sabbath was one of the principal distinguished, excuse me, one of the principal distinguishing marks of the Jews as the people of God, and as such was promoted and defended with more than merely pietistic zeal. It was a matter of national pride. Now, there are a couple of important words that the commentator uses. He says it's a matter of national pride. It is a way that the people of God then said, hey, we're in. You cannot see someone's covetousness, can you? Are you coveting? You may be. You can see someone's adherence to the Sabbath. Are you, are you playing by the rules or are you not? And it is a way that the people of God define themselves as in and others as out. Right? We keep the Sabbath. We're the good guys. You guys, Greeks, Romans, whomever is out there, you guys don't. You're out. We're God's people. You're out. We're good. You're bad. Why? Because we keep the Sabbath. It was an outward display of what you could call righteousness. Their goodness. We're in. You're out. And when Jesus dismissed, you notice that when Jesus came in, he didn't debate, well, the, one of the 39 laws suggests that you can grind a kernel. He didn't debate. He simply just ignored the debate. He ground the kernel. Or he allowed his disciples to eat the kernel of wheat. He prioritized the sick man over a strict observance. And when he does this, they respond with anger. 
when Jesus dismissed their source of identity and pride, they're angry. And Jesus is angry in return. One of the commentators you see in, a, in our passage, Jesus responded to their hardness of heart. He was angered at their hardness of heart. One commentator or translator says, Jesus was angered at their obdurate stupidity. And it is. To define the world according to these categories of, hey, I'm a Sabbath keeper. I'm in. You're not. You're out. To define the world in such simplistic terms is just silly. It's just stupid. And Jesus is angered. Now, what does this have to do with you and me? In 20 years of pastoral ministry, I have never been asked, Pastor, should I or should I not do this on the Sabbath? Never. Not once. No one has asked me of what is allowed or forbidden on the Sabbath. We just don't care. We don't define ourselves, our inness or our outness or our goodness or our badness by our pietistic zeal. Right? But don't think for an instance that you and I have stopped to care about being in or out, good or bad, with separating the world into those who fall into those two categories. This is the point of David Zoll's book, Seculosity. I've recommended it and referenced it. Listen to how he begins in his front flap, just the front flap of the book. The religious impulse, the religious impulse, what's that? That is this desire to be good enough, to be, again, a biblical word, to be righteous. The religious impulse is easier to rebrand than to extinguish. Now, the, pop, the polls tell us how the religion is on the decline. No one goes to church anymore. Thank you for being in church this morning. <laughs> People are abandoning their faith. The polls tell us that confidence in the religious narratives we've inherited has collapsed, right? Show me someone who cares about Sabbath observance now. I would love to meet them. Our confidence in the religious narrative has collapsed. What these polls fail to report is that the marketplace in religion is booming. We may be sleeping in on Sunday mornings in greater numbers, but we've never been more pious. Religious observance hasn't faded a pace, secularization, so much as it has migrated. And we've got the anxiety to prove it. You and I are seldom not in church. What does he mean? He means that, yeah, we may not be following the rules of a Sabbath. We may not be defining ourselves as in and out according to the, But don't think for a second that you've stopped to define yourself as those who are in and those who are out. We have just secularized our religion career, parenting, technology, food, politics, romance, how these became our new religion and what to do about the subtext of this book. In one parent, in one chapter, this is closest to home, in one chapter on parenting, author David Zoll observes, rarely does a month go by without some fresh parenting trend making headlines and with it ringing some fresh alarm bell about the ways we are ruining our kids. If your kids are a picky eater, you may want to check out the French book on parenting. 
If your kids seem risk adverse, you should probably watch a documentary about Norwegian kindergartens. On and on and on. We're a little bit out of this. Our, our youngest is eight years old, so we've kind of shelved all, all of our parenting books, but we were knee deep in it. You have the helicopter mom, you have the tiger parents, you have the, the, the amount of help books on parenting suggests that our anxiety is not just for our well-being of our kids. Right? We are scrupulous about it. And it's we've, almost as we've invested our identity in our kids. And our success is wrapped up in their success. And it's silly, isn't it? Eight years down the road, or again, our youngest being eight, it's silly to invest this much energy in parenting. I'm not suggesting there's right ways and there's wrong ways. Of course there are. But this level of scrupulosity, this level of intensity, is as silly as developing 39 subsets of laws to define what or what not is allowed on the Sabbath. And he goes on. Parenting makes a great substitute religion. Politics, oh, that's a great substitute religion. I mean, can you imagine anyone saying, how can you be a Christian and not keep the Sabbath? No, you can't imagine that. But can you imagine someone saying, can, how can you be a Christian and vote for, stand for, be a part of, Absolutely. You can imagine that. I probably have even said that. Great substitute religion. In his book, what he defines is our desire to be enough. Enoughness. You and I want to be busy enough. Our kids adjusted enough. Our career significant enough. Our politics passionate enough. That is a religious impulse. And just because we no longer use a Sabbath to justify ourselves, don't think for a second we've gotten off the merry-go-round. All of us in some way, shape, or form are in this battle to prove to ourselves and to one another, I'm in. <laughs> Sorry, but you may be out. The biblical word for enoughness is righteousness. And not only does our pursuit of enoughness or righteousness not work, it also makes us mean. And that is what is so frightening about these Pharisees, isn't it? They're just mean. Man's healed, his hand restored, they don't care. And that is what happens when we establish our enoughness our righteousness through something as silly as Sabbath observance. Back to this book and back to parenting. Zal observes that the acrimony you find online about differing approaches to parenting makes the heat around political disagreements look tame. I haven't been on those websites, but I believe it to be true. If you have a different approach to parenting, it means you're not just a bad parent, but a bad person. You're cheating your children. That sounds silly. It sounds just as silly as dividing the world into Sabbath breakers and Sabbath keepers. It may not be parenting, it may not be politics, it's certainly not the Sabbath, but you and I are both all engaged in this exercise to establish our enoughness. Are you enough? Are you flying the right flags? Do you have the right bumper stickers? Do you have the right signs? 
This is how you and I should read the passage. You and I should not read this passage and think, hey, Jesus is playing fast and loose with the Sabbath. Sweet. I can play fast and loose with the Sabbath. I don't need to be in church. I don't need to not work. No. I think the Sabbath is one of the most important commandments that we could pay attention to. You and I are not meant for 24-7. We need one day to put it down. We should not look at this passage and think, hey, that's off. We should look at this passage as a warning to all of us who have this religious impulse to establish our enoughness. And the inevitable cruelty and criticalness that comes to others. And as far as I know, there's only one solution to establishing your enoughness that will not lead to cruelty. And that is the true religion of the Christian faith. Because here's, and here's why. Here's, here's why Christian faith will lead to your compassion. Right? Remember the Pharisees. They followed the law, they just failed in compassion. And here's why the Christian faith rightly received, rightly internalized, will lead to your compassion. Because you know who the Bible says has it together? No one. Romans chapter 3, verse 9, there is no one who is righteous. There is no, not one. That means the most up-to-date parent, the most politically pure activist, the most rigid Sabbath keeper, they're all in the same boat with the worst of sinners. No one has it together. No, not one. The tiger mom and the helicopter parent, they're in the same boat. Democrats, Republicans, in the same boat. Saints and sinners, in the same boat. There are none who are righteous. No, not one. The Christian gospel should ignite our compassion for one another. Because there's not an us versus them. There is just an us. All of us. None of us righteous. All of us broken. And we should ask ourselves, I thought of this question, I almost don't want to mention it because it's a little convicting for myself. We should ask ourselves, does our faith in Christ, our attendance of worship, make us more likely to love people who are different from us or more convinced of our own rightness? Eek. Does your faith ignite compassion for others who are not enough, just like you? The Christian gospel should ignite our compassion for one another because the Christian gospel asserts there's no one who's got it together, not even the most put together. That includes the Pharisees, that includes you and me. Not only does the Christian gospel rightly received ignite our compassion for one another, it also opens us to the possibility of grace, which is what you and I need most of all to establish our enoughness, to establish our righteousness. In that same passage, Romans chapter 3, in which we read, there is no one who is righteous, there is no not one. A few verses later, we read, a righteous, however, dot, 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 a righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law, apart from anything that you have done. The righteousness of God that is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified by his grace as a gift. 
And that, friends, is the secret to your enoughness. That is the secret to your righteousness. It is not found in diet, parenting, politics, not in Sabbath keeping. It is by receiving something that's been done for you. There is someone who righteous, who is righteous, who is for you, Jesus. And our righteousness is established through faith in him. The Christian understanding of the gospel ignites our compassion for one another and opens us up to grace. So let me summarize. The Pharisees adhere to laws about the Sabbath with scrupulosity because it was through their obedience that they defined themselves, we're in, you're out. We're good, you're bad. And this is a religious impulse that's a part of your life and a part of mine. We are like them. Though the religious impulse has migrated, it has not faded. We adhere to our own laws about parenting, politics, or diet with equal scrupulosity to define ourselves. We're in, you're out. Not only will it not work, it will make you mean. The biblical understanding of human nature, that there is none who are righteous, no, not one. It's a doorway to compassion for one another. And further, it is the doorway to receive what we need most of all. A righteousness that is ours apart from the law. A righteousness that is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Please rise. Let us confess our faith in the words of the